Welcome to Health System CIO's podcast interview with Tom Barrett, Chief Information and Digital Officer with Baptist Memorial Healthcare. In part one, Barrett talks about why process should always be upstream from technology, how they're leveraging learnings from Toyota and Chick-fil-A to improve efficiencies, especially during the pandemic, and why he believes it doesn't take much for CIOs to make themselves available, especially to remote staff. Okay, so to start off, you've been with Baptist Memorial since May of last year, correct? That is correct. Okay. Your title um, is Chief Information and Digital Officer. So I wanted to ask first about what that means to you, just as far as having digital in the title and whether you approach this differently or if the role itself was just kind of evolving in that direction. From my standpoint, I think the role for a lot of C-level leaders in in technology, it's morphing uh, into that. So it's almost like the next progression. Historically, CIO role over the last several decades has been the the chief keeper of the operational system, so to speak. Uh, The CIO is usually responsible for the uptime, for the the major applications, the enterprise-level applications and, and hardware and so forth. But Particularly, I think there's two things going on in the industry. Now as we're beginning to embrace more cloud technologies, so it's not so much about being able to go into the building and and pat your server, so to speak, that you have nice and safe. With that, and I think particularly in healthcare, that I think has been driven over the last few decades, but definitely over the last decade with Epic, is I see a fusion of, of a couple of things happening, which is it's no longer just software. It's workflow intermingled with software. So I think back to that, that title perspective, I think you know, being the keeper of the data center, so to speak, uh, has definitely moved into as you embrace digital. I mean, in, in effect, digital is is technology, but we're now doing a lot of how do we find our customers? How do we engage with our patients? How do we work internally from a streamlined perspective? And I think that's a, a key word there is is streamlined. So invariably, from my point of view, a digital title or a digital initiative, it's going to be mostly about workflow. I mean, inherently, it's going to obviously deal with technology and particularly new and innovative types of technology. But right. I believe process is always upstream from, from technology. You can't introduce technology and assume it's going to drive fundamental corporate change or organizational change. You really have to have that focus on streamlining a workflow and a process and, and making sure that that fits neatly with and is in turn reinforced by the software. So I think it made sense to me in seeing a chief information and digital officer role as kind of being encompassing of a lot of those different, um, particularly transformational types of activities. Yeah, right. So the organization has to be there, though, right? That mindset already has to be kind of in motion of moving towards more, like you said, streamlining workflow and processes and not just about IT itself. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that was intriguing to me about, about Baptist was uh, they do have a focus on process improvement and they do have a chief improvement officer and they do have a very methodical approach to how they affect change here through what's known as the Baptist management system. But a lot of whether they're improvement initiatives, change initiatives, even transformational initiatives, 
start from a define your current condition, particularly with metrics or measurements, and what is your target condition, and what are those activities you need to affect or improve or redesign or streamline that's going to move the bar. And there's a time limit on that between your starting condition and your target. So that kind of approach, a very systematized approach to how they, they evaluate change and how they are particularly data-driven in that in approach, lent itself as, to me, a, a perfect marriage with, with uh, digital types of strategies and workflow redesigns. Right, right. That's really interesting, um, that focus on process improvement. And I would imagine that really does uh, come through in so many different aspects of what you're doing and what your team is doing. It absolutely does. And it's not just within IT. I think it's very organizational driven. Our chief operating officer, Dr. Paul DePriest, has a long background in, in working with and trying to analyze what can be taken from the manufacturing industry or specifically Toyota and what are right. some of their quality practices and how can they be adapted to and, and applied in a healthcare setting? Because I think one of the things that we've seen nationwide is is healthcare, it's patient-centered. You're, you're working on a patient. You're trying to improve a condition uh, with that patient. But there's a lot of variability in how that care can be applied. And I yeah. think if you truly do look at, particularly when you're measuring outcomes and measuring kind of those starting conditions, what works best, what reduces the variability that you're dealing with, and how do you standardize this, not only to improve the outcomes, but control costs, you know, make things a lot more predictable and, and standardized. And I think that marriage between that approach, so for example, I think um, one of the things that the Toyota model uses is they leverage something called a kata team, which is basically a targeted focus improvement team around a specific problem that utilizes kind of what I referred to before, the starting condition and the ending condition and measuring your process. And absolutely, it was one of the first teams I was introduced here in our IT department was we have kata teams uh, that can be focused around things like uh, first call resolution at our help desk. What was it before? What do we want to get it to? And what can we put in place to help close that? So it's very much part of the culture. Okay, really interesting. I'm not sure how this would relate to um, the fact that, you know, you happen to come to this organization during a pandemic, but can you talk about what the situation was when you walked in? I mean, this was in the spring, so was the focus at that point on adding beds, things like that? And, and how did you approach that? So I, I did have a, a unique situation of having started what we were all dealing with a year ago, yeah. the pandemic taking root first in, in New York City and New York State by extension. So I saw the front end of the pandemic as we were kind of working through that. And then uh, I was between jobs, I guess you could say, as I was migrating to the Baptist opportunity. But right. their peak had not yet happened in the South or the Memphis area. So by arriving when I did is when the COVID cases really began to increase. So their first plateau, it really started to take hold in June. So I think they had a number of things in process. Now, it does give me a unique perspective in seeing how two different organizations and what was very similar in their approaches to it. Uh, and in speaking with peers, I think a lot of folks dealt with this. First was, you know, how do we make sure that we're caring for our patients? So there was that increase in, in the telemedicine and, and the video visit market, which we saw a spike 
uh, here uh, prior to my arrival, but in the March-April timeframe, those really started to increase to a level that they had not seen here previously, as well as the workforce had just begun uh, to work in a, in a remote capacity for those jobs that could. Uh, so they were in the process of, of still rolling out and fine-tuning some of that. But I arrived to the organization that it was already uh, addressing the front end of the pandemic. A lot of the workforce that could work remotely were already working in that mode. And um, the organization was um, very, very focused in terms of they already had senior executive meetings that were occurring uh, three times per week staying on top of the stats, watching bed availability, watching the patient mix and the acuity levels, as well as ramping up for some of the, uh, the ancillary services that would need to be performed. And specifically for us, that was the COVID drive-through testing. We had three, three different sites, and I think that was um, a process of, as we were ramping up over the summer, as more and more individuals needed to be um, tested, the drive-through lanes were beginning to have a, a longer and longer wait, so to speak. And mm-hmm. uh, it was definitely working with our with our chief improvement officer. And again, I love the idea of looking at other industries and, and being able to adapt what can work within healthcare. Skip Stewart is his name, and he kind of grafted what he saw working within Chick-fil-A and how some of those, as their drive-throughs, would get longer lanes. You know, you'd have order takers, if you will, who had the uh, the tablets and they could work their way upstream of the delivery windows. So now you had kind of segmented things out. You can order stream in line. You can there's a payment window or a person, and then you can get to the delivery window. We quickly pivoted last summer, particularly to a few of our locations. We're able to extend, you know, cellular data coverage, move to a similar tablet type of setup, which allowed our clinicians or specifically registration staff to work further up the line and do the pre-reg on a number of patients. And that was able to help us to focus on, on getting the throughput. And I think we've taken that model and those learnings as we're now looking to how do we apply starting in December of last year as we began ramping up and distributing vaccines. So we saw a lowering of of the demand, if you will, for the drive-through testing while a simultaneous increase in in vaccine distribution. Right. And and you're able to apply some of the learnings from the testing to the vaccination processes. Absolutely. And a lot of that is the the improvement culture that they have uh, here at Baptist. And I think um, uh, even taking something new like, you know, how do we suddenly deliver mass vaccinations? And it's a matter of putting a process in place, putting a process in that will continually uh, improve it. And, um, yeah, and, and they make things happen here. Right. I think there's there's really something to be said about a willingness to learn from other industries. That hasn't always been the way in healthcare, as you know. So. I think that that's really a positive step. Absolutely. And I think that there is a lot to learn from other industries where while it may not be a perfect lineup, there may be a pearl of wisdom or or a nugget or a really interesting aspect that you could take and and adapt and have some uh, huge benefits pay off from that. Yeah. And it's being being open-minded and, you know, even something like like a drive-through lane, there are lessons there, there are best practices that can be adopted without having to uh, start from zero. Absolutely. So as far as your team that you worked with, most of them were remote or uh, transitioning at that point, you said. And so like, how did you get to know them? It's a different situation to walk into. So how did you approach that? 
so most of leadership and management were on site. A lot of the staff positions were working remotely. So for the initial meet and greets on the way into the organization, a lot of those folks were here. Now, while they were here, because we were in the middle of a pandemic, I could be in the same building, but almost all of those meetings were still done by uh, by video conferencing right. uh, to respect social distancing and so forth. So it was different. I had to change my approach because now you're you're making those first impressions and, and establishing those new relationships through a different model than I'd done before. It worked really well meeting with the um, with the leadership and, and peers and a lot of the directors and management uh, team that I would be working with. But you raise an interesting point. What do I do with staff that is yeah. no longer on site? They're working remotely. Well, while they're working remotely, it depended on the team. Some teams would be working exclusively in a remote mode. Some teams were doing rotations. They might be uh, here one week, remote another week. I mean, it depends on the need of the team and also the size of the team. So we'd have different combinations that, that are here. But I met with my executive assistant, and we t- tried to think out of the box a little bit as well as adapt some things that I'm used to doing in the past. So typically, I'll try to meet with the entire staff of an, an IT shop, the new organization. I like to look at it and pull small groups, maybe six to eight employees, randomly selected. Nobody can be from the same team and meet with them in small focus groups where I'll answer any question, anything's uh, fair game. Uh, We can get to know each other, uh, talk about what my observations are, what their observations are. You definitely get the best insight from listening more than speaking. So for the folks that were on site, we still did those. In a very large conference room, everybody socially distanced, but we were able to meet those that were on site. The rest we handled via Zoom or WebEx or any of the uh, the video technologies that are out there, as well as one other element that we added to it. There was a lot of changes going on last summer as, as the pandemic was, uh, was progressing and, and information is coming out. So we did uh, something uh, I did with my directs, and then we did it with the entire uh, IT division. Uh, I set up virtual drop-ins uh, because I was used to people stopping by the office you know, with a question or, hey, do you have a minute, that kind of thing. And in the COVID world, that was missing because everybody was keeping distant. So I'd set up a video call uh, every Wednesday, depends on the schedule, 10 or 11 o'clock. And I said, I'm just going to open the video uh, session. And if nobody's there, that's fine. (laughs) But I'm there (laughs) if you want to, if you need questions, clarifications, want to drop in, you know, heads up, we have a purchase rec coming through or something. I'm making myself 100% available. And it worked out really well with my direct report team. That became almost like a virtual huddle, if you will, where we could do uh, quick clarifications and so forth. We then extended it, and I did a 30-minute drop-in with the CIDO on Friday mornings. The invite was sent out to the entire IT uh, division. And I would give a few updates, maybe do a five- or or ten-minute introduction of a concept, or here's some of the things that will be coming up in the next four to six months. And then for the next 20 minutes, either through texting, through the uh, video platform, or bring yourself off mute and ask a question, anything is fair game. And I think that went a long way toward helping me answer any of the questions that were top of mind, as well as making myself accessible. They knew where they could find me. 
if you had a question. Every Friday morning, I'm on that Zoom call, and we'd have anywhere between 170 to, to maybe 230 people on that call. Um, oh, wow. And it, it became a really great way to both communicate as well as answer any questions that anybody had. And what I heard from other staff as well is, is also gave everybody a chance to consistently hear from me and to learn my style and learn more about me as, as a leader. So I think it definitely went a long way. And we're still doing it on a, a biweekly schedule now in uh, 2021. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.